Today I want to preach on the topic of deliverance. It's a popular word in church world today. And so I want to talk about it today. I want to talk about what deliverance is. Deliverance, it means to be rescued or set free and specifically saved from sin and from evil. My Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That he who the Son has set free is free indeed. And so I want to talk about this morning, what is deliverance ministry? Is it scriptural? You know, many people, when they allude to deliverance ministry, believe that anytime somebody is dealing with a a spiritual problem, a mental problem, an emotional problem, or even a physical problem, that it means that they are going through spiritual oppression and or possession and therefore need deliverance from demonic activity. And while it is possible for those things to be a result of a spiritual problem, it doesn't always mean that it is. I want you to go with me this morning to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. The Apostle Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He said, For for we know that the law is spiritual. You can go back to verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now that word spiritual, it just simply means not of man and of the Spirit of God. And so we believe that the law, the Old Testament law, was inspired by the Spirit of God. The the Old Testament law, there is nothing wrong with the law. It was inspired by God. The problem isn't the law. The problem is us. It was totally of God and from God. But Paul said here, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And really what this refers to, and I hope you don't mind if I do some teaching here this morning. You mind if I do some teaching here today? Preachers yell it and teachers tell it. Amen. There's a time for both. This morning we're going to tell it, amen, and we might, we might yell it a little bit today. We'll see what happens. <laughs> he said, by am carnal, sold under sin, and really what this refers to is the fact that within himself, he has no spirituality whatsoever, that, that man is completely void of a spiritual or divine nature. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody that, that wasn't saved about the things of God and they look like a calf looking at a new gate? It just wasn't registering in their heart. It's because it's not until you get saved that you can receive the things of God. The Bible says that the natural mind cannot comprehend the spiritual things of God. And so you can try to explain the things of God to the unsaved individual until you're blue in the face, but until the Spirit of God makes it real to them, then you're not really going to get anywhere. And that's why it's so important to be led by the Spirit of God and follow the unctions of the Holy Spirit, because we can preach it, but ultimately it takes a work of the Spirit of God to make it real to the individuals. When people come to Elevate Youth, we want the Spirit of God to make this gospel real in their life. We want them to get a revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ, to understand the love that was a afforded to them 2,000 years ago, and it only comes through a work of the Spirit of God. You know, I remember Lauren Larson back when I was a student at JSBC. I remember him asking the students, you know, they have a radio station, Sun Life Radio, although it's not in this area. I think the closest one is Ohio. But he asked the students the question, is it possible for everybody to receive Sun Life Radio? A lot of people said yes. The answer was, no, it's not. 
You have to have a receiver in order to receive that signal. And it's the same way with us. It's not until we get saved that we get a receiver, so to speak, and we can receive the things of God and we can comprehend the things of God and God can make those things real to you and to me. And so the idea here of this verse is that is how can a carnal man keep and obey a law that is spiritual? It can't be done without a divine impartation of God's life produced by faith and God's redemption plan, which supplies a flow of the Holy Spirit to empower the believer to walk in victory. And then in verse 15, it says this. It says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Again, what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I desire to do, I'm not doing. And that which I hate doing, that's what I'm doing. Have you ever found yourself in that place before? The things that you don't want to do, you find yourself doing, and then the things that you want to do, you can't do. And what Paul is dealing with here, it wasn't demon possession. He didn't need uh, uh, somebody to deliver him. He needed to be delivered from the power of sin. Ultimately, he did need somebody to deliver him, but it wasn't a preacher or a pastor or an evangelist. It was Jesus, and we'll get to that later on. But he said, he said here, what I'm doing, I don't understand. And, and so many Christians are in that place where they're struggling to live for God. They want to live free from, from sin. They want to live a life pleasing to God. And they find themselves in a place where they do not understand why they are where they are and why they're struggling with what they're struggling with, why they cannot do what they want to do. And the things that they're doing are the very things that they hate doing. As I said it last night at Elevate, a, a zebra cannot change its, its stripes. I almost said its spots, but zebras don't have spots. A zebra can't change its stripes. A leopard can't change its spots. A bird cannot change its feathers, and a sinner cannot change himself. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes the Spirit of God working in us and bringing about a change. We sing that song, I got Jesus on the inside, moving on the outside, bringing about a change in my life. The only way to experience that change is through Jesus Christ working in you and working through you. And you can't come in contact with the presence of God and stay the same way you are. So many people say, well, I've got God loves me. He'll accept me the way that you, we are. Well, God does love us the way that we are, but he loves, way, he loves you way too much to keep you the same. And so when you come to him, he wants to bring about a change in your life. He wants to change our heart. And, and, and this isn't where we're, you know, like pointing out each other's failures because we all ought to be at the front of the line because it's only by the grace of God that we are where we are today. And it's only by the grace of God that we're going to get to where God wants us to be. Amen. Amen. Perfection, it's a goal, not an accomplishment. For all of this sanctification process, God is going to be changing us and conforming us into his image. So Paul said here, that which I do, I allow not. And so really the idea here is that which I do, I do not understand. So, you know, Paul is saying, I'm trying to serve God, but I do not understand why no matter how hard I try, sin is still manifesting itself and I am still failing. For what I would, that do I not. And so his desire is to please God, but he could not find the capacity or ability to do so. He said, but what I hate that I do. And so this refers to the sin in his life that he hates Yet no matter how hard he tries, he cannot stop. And then in verse 16, it says, if then I do 
that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. And so the idea here, Paul is saying, uh, this phrase tells us that Paul is doing something that is against his will. He's trying with all of his strength not to do it. However, he finds himself doing it anyway. And, and this is a reality because the power of the sin nature can never be overcome by a life lived in the flesh. We can never overcome the power of sin through the effort of our flesh. It takes the power of God. It takes the spirit of God to give us victory in our life. And he said, I consent unto the law that it is good. And so the fact that Paul has a desire to do what the law demanded, it spoke of the goodness of the law. And then in verse 17, he said, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. <laughs> now it's important to mention that this is not giving the believer a license to sin. When he says, but now it is no longer I that do it. In other words, this doesn't do away with personal accountability because we are all personally accountable for what is happening in our life. But he said, but sin that dwells in me. Now, it's important to understand that that word sin there, it's not just speaking of actions of sin. It's speaking of something so much deeper, which is our sin nature. This is something you don't hear taught about a whole lot in church world. Most of the time, people just deal with the actions of sin, but the actions are, are a symptom of a deeper issue, which is a sin nature that is dwelling in us. Now, I remind you here that the Apostle Paul is saved here. He's already born again. He's already accepted Jesus. Well, how do you know that? Well, how many sinners do you know that want to please God? I don't know of any. Maybe you do. The fact that Paul was trying to please God tells us that he had a desire to please God, which only comes once you get saved. And so Paul said here that the sin nature that was within him as a born-again believer, that it was dwelling within him. And he said in verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Now this is a place where every individual has to come to. This here does away with self-righteousness. It does away with man-made righteousness and church legalism and church traditions. It says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And so what that tells us is that there is nothing in it of ourselves that we can do that is good. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, that there are none good, no, not even one. And the first step to coming to Jesus is realizing how much we need Jesus. And Paul said that there was absolutely nothing good within him. And he said, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I do not find. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I, I find not. And so Paul was saying that while the desire to perform God's will was always with him, the ability or power to perform it was not and Paul, he eventually, he did find out how to perform God's will. But the emphasis here is that he could not find it in himself. And then in verse 19, it says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Verse 20, now if I do that, I would not. And I know it can be kind of hard to process all this. Y'all look a little confused. You want me to start over? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's a lot of back and forth. But verse 20, he said, now if I do, Doris said, no, you can keep going. <laughs> 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 
Can you back up to verse 14? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And that word dwell there, it means to occupy a house, to reside, to remain, and to cohabit. And so this word dwells here, it lets us know that we all have a sin nature even after conversion. And if self is not hidden in Christ, then our sin nature will dominate us as a believer. And then in verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Then in verse 23, it says this, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death, which is in my members. I'll read that again. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, the phrase here, the law of sin and death, or, or uh, I'm sorry here, he talks about the law of my, my mind, and then he talks about the law of sin, which is the same thing as the law of sin and death. It really has to do with the sinful nature. That's really what it has to do with. And then it says warring, uh, that his sin nature was warring against the law of my mind. Now, the law of my mind, this speaks of Paul's desire to obey God's law. You could say it like this. It is the law of desire and willpower. Can I tell you this here today? The law of sin and death will always war with the law of desire and willpower. And so if you feel like there's a conflict on the inside where... Uh, your desire to please God is conflicting with the actual feelings and emotions, the, 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 the sin nature within you. Can I tell you that you're not strange? Well, a couple of y'all might be a little strange. I won't, I won't point fingers. No, I'm just kidding. It might be me. But we all have that conflict. The Bible says that the flesh wars against the spirit. And so we have these natural proclivities and propensities in our life. We have these natural desires to go contrary to the will of God and the way of God. Before I got saved, the first thing I thought about in the morning was how I was going to get high that day, how I was going to get drunk that day. It just, it consumed me. And I just, I, it, I had no desire to please God. I had no desire to live for God, but it was once I got saved, the things that I once loved doing, I began to hate doing. And the things that I once hated doing, I began to to love doing because God, he changes your desires and he takes desires out that are harmful for you and replaces them with desires that are glorifying to him and are going to contribute to your future. God, he's got good plans for you. He's not changing your desires to destroy you. He's changing your desires because he loves you and cares about you and he's got good plans for your future. How many of you believe that here this morning? Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then in verse, uh, it, there he said, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And that word captivity there, it means to lead away captive like a prisoner of war. He was saved, and he felt like he was being led away captive like a prisoner of war. You know how many believers out there that love God and want to please God, want to serve God, and yet they still feel bound by things in their life? And, and Christians will tell them that, you know, they're just not praying long enough. They need to fast longer. Well, what happens when you fast for 21 days and you're still struggling with sin in your life? Do you go to 22? 
You go to 23, you go to 24. How about this? We'll try it next week. We'll see how well it works. How about that? We need, well, I'll say I need to lose a little bit of weight anyway. <laughs> I caught myself. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Amen. Where was I? There's only one thing that can give us victory over sin in our life, and it's the grace of God. It's the Spirit of God. That's the only way that you and I can get free in our life. And Paul, he was still bound by sin in his life. He was born again. He was saved, but he was still bound. Some will say that if you're struggling with sin, then you just need to do a certain amount of push-ups, do 100 push-ups every time you're tempted. Or if you're struggling, then uh, call up your accountability partner and tell them where you are. And that's supposed to, well, you know, most of the time, if you're in a place of temptation, you're probably not going to feel like calling your accountability partner. And your accountability partner probably has an accountability partner and they have an accountability partner. How about just going to Jesus? Amen. Because your accountability partner didn't die on the cross for you, but Jesus died on the cross and he's the one that brings about victory in your life he's the one that brings about deliverance in your life and then Paul said this in verse 24 he said oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death have you come to that place where you said oh wretched man that I am you know that's not a like a degrading thing that's just a recognition of how messed up that we are and how much we need Jesus he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Now, that word who is indicating a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? And then in verse 25, he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God through Jesus. You want deliverance here today? I can tell you where deliverance comes. Paul said, who shall deliver me? And then he answered his own question. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want you to know here today that Jesus is your deliverer. Time and time again, through the Old Testament, God would raise up deliverer after deliverer after deliverer after deliverer after deliverer. But God no longer has to raise up deliverer deliverer after deliverer after deliverer. He raised up one deliverer 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. He's an eternal deliverer, and you can have deliverance today through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give God a shout of praise in this place this morning. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is your deliverer. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. Jesus is your deliverer here today. We can pray for you, and we are happy to pray and lay hands on you, but ultimately, you're going to have to look to Jesus. Ultimately, you're going to have to put your faith in the deliverer because you can come in here and we can pray for you. But if you leave out and you're trusting in yourself to get deliverance and you're going to be just as bound as you were when you walked in. But if you come in here and you realize that, hey, you can't do it on your own, but Jesus already did it and you look to him for that deliverance, then you can find freedom and victory in your life. How many of you believe that this morning? And we believe that everybody and anybody can be free from everything and anything. I'll say that again. Everybody and anybody can be free from everything and anything.
period. Is it period A or period I? It's an inside joke. Period A. Thank you. Exclamation point. Amen. That's a new one. I like that. Exclamation point. Jesus is your deliverer. Jesus has the power and the ability to deliver you. Now, I do believe in possession. I believe that a born-again believer cannot be demon-possessed. But I do believe, and you see really in the heart of the Gospels, uh, that Jesus would tell the disciples that they had power to drive out devils. And so we believe in that today. We believe that that is still an issue today. And we believe that God has given the church, the body of Christ, as a believer, the power and the authority. And I've seen it firsthand. I've been to nations around the world. I've been to parts of Africa, Latin America, all different places. And I've experienced situations where it was no doubt demon possession. But we knew we had power and we had authority. And so we would lay hands knowing that we had that authority over those evil spirits. But I want to ask, ask the question, can Christians be, Greg knew I would go there, can Christians be demon-possessed? Thank you. Period. Exclamation point. Without the exclamation. No, a believer, a born-again believer cannot be possessed. A Christian can be oppressed, but they cannot be possessed. You see, Christians are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and surely the Holy Spirit would not allow a devil to possess the same person that he is indwelling. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and that you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, let me ask you this. If you are God's possession, if God owns you, if you've been purchased, then why would God allow a devil to possess a child of God? So it is unimaginable that God would allow one of his children whom he has purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 says that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that you have been made into a new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And so it is unthinkable that he would allow one of his own to be possessed and controlled by a devil. And yes, as believers, we are at war with the enemy and his demonic forces and not from within ourselves. The Apostle John, he says this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Hallelujah. Who is the one within us? It's the Holy Spirit. Who is the one in the world? It's Satan and the demons. Therefore, the believer has overcome the world of devils, and the case for demon possession of a believer cannot be made spiritually. So once again, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer, and the evidence of this is the fruit of the Spirit. And you see that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and so when we first became believers, the Bible says that God transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and the rule and reign of the enemy to the kingdom of righteousness and of his son, Jesus Christ. When you got saved, God delivered you from the powers of darkness. God snatched you back from the enemy's hands. 
And now God, he owns you. Now, in fact, First John chapter 5 and verse 18, it tells us that the wicked one can't even touch us. You know, that word touch in this verse has a sense of grabbing onto. And so the enemy cannot possess a believer. Why? Because they do not have the authority to do so. The believer belongs to Christ, and neither Satan or his demons can reclaim one who belongs to the Lord. But I do want to make this point that Satan, knowing that he cannot possess believers, he has the objective to render us ineffective. But yet, all he can do is use his lies and power to influence, attack, and oppress us. He tells us lies about God, about ourselves, and others trying to deceive us into living in ways that do not glorify God. You know, oftentimes the greatest warfare that we experience is in our mind. The lies of the devil. You ought to challenge every thought that you have and ask yourself, does this line up with the word of God? No matter how you feel, no matter what the emotion might be, you've got to go back to the Word of God. And I want you to know here this morning that you've got power and authority over every thought. You know, I talk to a lot of people that go through depression and anxiety. And one of the things I tell them is that no matter how depressing the thought might be, that thought has no power over your life. That you have power and authority over that thought. No matter how horrible it might be. It might be thoughts of suicide, depression, fear. No matter what it might be, it's just a thought. And you've got power and authority over that thought. That thought has no power or authority over you. You've got to realize that your freedom and deliverance comes through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, it says, do not rejoice that, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. Have you ever met someone that's just looking for a devil behind every bush? I mean, just everything. They just, everything's of the devil. They see little emblems on hotels and they say it's uh, the Illuminati, whatever the case. They're just looking for something, looking for a devil behind every bush. I don't believe that's how we ought to live. I don't believe that you've got to live consumed with what the devil's doing. You ought to live consumed with what Jesus is doing. You ought to live consumed with what God is doing in your life. And here the disciples, they saw that they had power and authority over the, the enemy, and they were happy about it. But Jesus said, don't rejoice over that. We, we know that you've got that. We know that you've got power and authority, but rather rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. Think about the fact that your name is written down in glory, and that you're saved and born again, that God is on your side, that God's got a plan and a purpose for you. You ought to think on good things. Hallelujah. Paul said, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is holy, whatsoever is praiseworthy, whatsoever is of a good report, think on those things. Hallelujah. There's no time to think about the devil. I'm thinking on Jesus. Hallelujah. And I know that the devil, he can huff and he can puff, but he cannot blow your house down because you are built upon the rock this morning, and that rock is Jesus Christ. Can you give God a shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I feel that this morning. You want deliverance today? His name is Jesus. Jesus is your deliverance. 
He can deliver you from sin. He can deliver you from bondage. He can deliver you from hopelessness. He can deliver you from fear. All you've got to do is call on that name and Jesus will. The battle isn't yours. The battle is his. Hallelujah. And he's never lost one yet. Hallelujah. I feel that today. Time and time again, the children of Israel, they would turn from God and they would live in a way that was right in their own, in their own eyes. And as a result, they would find themselves under oppression from their enemies and attack from their enemy to the point where they couldn't take it anymore. And they were burdened down and they would call out to God for help. And then the Bible would say that God was grieved for the misery of Israel and God would raise up a deliverer. And maybe you're in a place today where you were once right with God and maybe you've been going in a way that is right in your own eyes and you find yourself in that place of oppression and you need deliverance. God, he raised up a deliverer for you. It was one and done and all you've got to do is believe it and receive it. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? Hallelujah. Now, can there be physical elements to strongholds that we face in our life? I believe absolutely. I, I, I believe that the devil, he can cause things like anxiety and depression and whatnot. But I believe that you got to handle things very carefully because I don't believe that in every case that it's spiritual. I believe that God has made us body, soul, and spirit. And there are certain things physically that can affect us spiritually and emotionally. And then there are certain things spiritual that can affect us emotionally. And if someone's going through something physical and their heart is right with God and they got believers shaming them and saying, well, you just don't have enough faith, that can just put them in a lower place. I believe you got to speak life to those people and say, you might be struggling. You might be depressed right now. Number one, make sure your heart is right with God. Make sure if there's anything in your life that isn't pleasing to God, that it's surrendered and trust the Lord to bring you through. And whether he uses resources or not, either way, Jesus is your deliverer and he has the ability to deliver you from that despair. No matter how low you are, no matter how depressed you are, no matter how hopeless you are, we believe that Jesus is able to deliver you. Amen. You know, most of the time you can tell whether or not people have been through uh, depression and anxiety based off of how they deal with people who are going through it and you know, when they say well just pull up your bootstraps and get with it well you don't you think of it as that easy they would have done it a long time ago you, you know there are, there are a lot of different factors you have uh, postpartum depression and where hormones are all out of balance and and things have to get back into balance and so there's all different factors and so you got to be really careful how you deal with those situations i'm very cautious with those individuals and I'm, i make sure to be an encouragement to them and let them know that there's hope that they can come through it that jesus is their answer and so sometimes those things anxiety depression addiction can be a result but not always and so what is the biblical way to see people delivered from strongholds in their life number one pray for them in the name of jesus christ and explain to them where their victory is found which is in the cross of jesus christ because when they leave the church house and they don't have someone to pray for them they got to have somewhere to have their faith and the only faith that's going to deliver them is where the deliverance came from and that deliverance came two thousand years ago and they can live free from those strongholds in their life. All you've got to do is have faith. All you've got to do is believe. But what about prayer? What about fasting? Well, 
when your faith is right, you're going to want to pray. You're going to want to read the word. It's no longer to earn something from God. You realize that you already have everything you have need of from God. It was already paid for. You receive it by faith. And now you pray and get into the word because you want to grow in closer relationship with the Lord. Amen.